Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal, and thanks for tuning in. This is the 170th edition of the show. Um, each week, I share a new exchange and interview with an artist, activist, writer, creator uh, in different parts of the world. And uh, these conversations usually look at the intersections of art and activism. And I wanted to share with you a conversation that I had with Anna Yunus, who is a writer, educator, researcher based in Berlin. Anna is um, a Palestinian German who has looked at the very critically important uh, ways that Palestinian solidarity activism has been repressed in Germany. And beyond repression, looking at how institutions within Germany, both academic and uh, other, uh, including, you know, state-sponsored institutions, really beyond silencing a conversation about Palestinian human rights, basically um, criminalize those conversations. And this conversation with Anna Yunus, I think, is important because it digs down and looks at the ways that there is a systemic racism inherent to a lot of major institutions in Germany that is not simply about um, criminalizing Palestinians today um, as other, as um, uh, challenging to a white supremacist view of German society, but Anna draws a line between what's happening in a current context and what happened historically in terms of histories of anti-Semitism in Germany. And I think makes a very convincing series of arguments and shares ideas about how um, standing for um, the uh, Palestinian cause today in Germany and the repression that people face in that context is linked to histories of persecution and state violence towards other communities in the past within Germany that have faced not just silencing, but extreme violence. Um, you know, we're talking, going back to the Holocaust. This is not to compare situations, but is to understand the mechanisms of um, state silencing and repression that do have a connection. There's still a lot of German corporations that uh, were built up and gained a lot of power in the context of the Nazi government, fascist government in Germany that retain social and economic capital today in Germany. So this is a very important conversation. Uh, obviously, this is just one of many that need to be had on this topic. It was really great to talk with Anna, and I'll just let the exchange speak for itself in her words uh, broadcast here on Free City Radio. Here's my conversation with Anna Yunus. Anna, we could start very simply. Uh, if you could just introduce yourself, uh, share a bit about the research you do. Um, I know that your work addresses the realities in Palestine, but from a much broader perspective, you're based in Berlin and you've worked on making connections between the realities in the German context with, um, you know, a very big uh, lack of space um, or repression that Palestinian academics and activists have faced. So just a bit of context there, I think, would be important in your introduction. Thank you. 
Yeah, um, Stefan, thank you so much. Um, thanks so much for this opportunity and for featuring um, all these important people and voices um, in your show. I feel quite honored, actually, to be featured um, today. Um, yeah, as you said already, I'm uh, very much interested in what happens in Palestine, but I look at it from or through a race-critical theory perspective, which means um, I don't look at it geographically, but rather through the question of race. I'm located, as you said, in Berlin, um, and I'm interested in these in questions of of race and continuities or colonial continuities of race, as well as contemporary formations of race, which means how can we understand Palestine and whatever happens in Palestine or to Palestinians abroad, in this particular case in Europe, um, through Europe, for instance, right, or through North America. Um, and what do I mean by contemporary formations of race? That's what some people would ask. Um, well, I'm basically interested in how changes in race and racism do occur, when, why, and how, because racisms until today keep on changing. It's kind of like shape-shifting uh, through time and space. Um, and yet they uh, still remain very often attached to the same bodies, but in different functions, for instance. Um, I'm also interested in the interconnectedness between different racisms, um, most prominently here, obviously, because of the topic of Palestine, I'm interested in how anti-Jewish and anti-Muslim racism, for instance, but also anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism are related, in particular in a post-socialist era where we have done away with um, any alternative, at least on a, on a state level, to uh, capitalism, as well as in the era of the war on terror. Um, so there again, where can we find commonalities between anti-Muslim, anti-Jewish, anti-Indigenous, anti-Palestinian, anti-Black racism, to name just a few. Um, yeah, so predominantly I look at Europe or through Europe um, with a German perspective and through a German lens. Um, but I also do more interesting things that are not that serious and always about or only about policy. I also look at... Uh, pop culture in particular, <clears throat> in particular movies. I love analyzing movies. And the last publication that I had was on zombie movies, for instance, and um, indigenous um, or colonial land conquest, basically, and new world narratives, war militarism, and how uh, the figure of the zombie, uh, in particular for Palestinians or the Palestinian zombie, comes into uh, into into uh, onto the screen today, basically. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I do. But you can also find all of that on my website. It's annaestereunis.net. And yeah, there you go. So there seems to be a lot of zombie action going on in terms of the lack of capacity um, for um, people to understand the reality in Palestine as interconnected with uh, colonial dynamics internationally. You know, and, and you were drawing out a lot of connections there between, you know, uh, indigenous people who are articulating, demanding their rights more on an international level. Um, could you talk about why, from your perspective, it's important to like when we are witnessing and following um, the news in Palestine to see it as not isolated, but as connected to these systems you're talking about? Um, oh, I think, I mean, obviously, uh, I think the settler colonial um, conquest of, of Israel or Israeli society um, um, or Zionist um, groups early on um, are in the middle of the century, um, last century, sorry, um, already speaks to that colonial 
reality and continuity in many ways. Although it happened, maybe it didn't, didn't begin, but it uh, continued and intensified um, at a time when the Western world at least had uh, seemingly decided that it is now post-colonial and that it is doing away with at least direct colonialism, right? Some people would argue that there is still a colonial continuity in many political and economic relationships that we have with the so-called global South. Um, so I think that's that's the very basic um, connection here. Palestinians have been kicked off of their land, had went through so-called population exchanges with Arab Jews, um, you know, all of that is basically, or all of these issues, or Arab Jews um, were brought in, many of them against their their um, their will, in fact, even, right? Um, and uh, uh, their children being abducted and given to white uh, European Jews in Israel. All of these kind of things, especially as someone who is from Canada, right, um, uh, should seem quite familiar to people who grow up or live or know the history of particular settler colonialism, not just colonialism as an extractive kind of uh, type of form, but settler colonial realities. And they just keep on replicating themselves throughout the centuries. And Palestine, in that sense, is nothing, nothing special. And so thinking about the ways that um, you've been trying to address and to highlight this in Germany, uh, you've written about this, your article, Fighting Anti-Semitism in Contemporary Germany. Within it, you write um, this. Indeed, the figure of the anti-Semitic Muslim is noteworthy today because it re-articulates old Christian European anti-Semitic conspiratorial uh, racialization fantasies about of about the contamination of society, of political infiltration, destabilization, and imposed violence or takeover, as well as of a demise of European, German, Western culture. So there's a lot to unpack there um, from your article, but can you draw that out a bit? Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for this very important question. Most people, I think, um, they don't yeah, they don't really ask about it or they just don't, they overread it. I don't know. Um, I think my main goal with that was uh, what I tried to describe was what I observed during my um, field research in, in Germany um, when I interviewed and, and observed, I'm an anthropologist, uh, mainly white Germans um, in civil society um, workshops, basically, where they were educated against or fighting against a new type of anti-Semitism, as it was called very often in these in these seminars. And people would constantly speak of a, and I'm quoting now, like a high proportion of anti-Semitism, um, quote unquote, in, in Berlin's migrant quarters, which means basically people of color and predominantly, predominantly Muslim in Europe. Um, so what was attributed to this kind of seemingly high number of Palestinians living in Berlin was a higher number of anti-Semitism in those Muslim quarters. But also what they said is that it was not an indigenous German <laughs> anti-Semitism, because apparently Germans don't have such a big problem anymore with anti-Semitism, but that it was instead brought in. And this time, the population that brought it in, at least back in the days, that was 2011 and until 13 when I did these interviews and observations. So right before it exploded in 2015 with the um, so-called... Um, 
wave of refugees, as they called it as well, quote unquote. Um, so that's when it exploded, this narrative, basically, after I handed in my PhD. But um, that's what they that's what they already elaborated early on in these in these seminars. So today, the new and real anti-Semite um, is the refugee, the migrant, the Oriental, the Muslim, the African um And with that comes um, a danger to society um, in a seemingly, um, let's say, peaceful co co coexistence, you know. So the topic of Palestine or Israel, or in particular Palestine, obviously, brings in violence, intolerance um, and, and racism to Europe. Um, but in particular... What I wanted to, what I what I leaned on is a concept by um, Zia Ibrahimi, a, a British scholar, um, who coined or who wrote about it, um, conspiratorial racialization, and um, what he meant by that is that what is usually being characteristic, at least in anti-racist research or critical race research, is that anti-Jewish racism sets itself as apart from other kinds of racism in many ways. At least this is also how it is narrated in Germany. Um, since it comes seemingly from above, as the Germans always call it, meaning that Jews come to um, conquer and uh, conspire against the existing political um, and economic life form of, in this case, Germany or Europe, um, and therefore want to take over uh, or undermine society and turn it into, um, well, some... Jewish fantasy land or something. I don't know what these people are thinking. Anyways, but that's the argument that there's a certain Jewish conspiracy, right? And um, what I wanted to say by using Zia Ibrahimi's concept um, in his article, he finds that the same racialization and accusations are today used against the Muslim community that is once or was once only used or predominantly used against Jews is today very much happening against Muslims. Um, and I agree with him, which is why I wrote that particular sentence that you were um, citing. Um, and I think we can, at least for Europe, but I would also extend that argument to Northern America, um, we can find this in popular culture, in uh, policies and politics, um, in literature. When we think of Michel Houellebecq, I don't know if, <laughs> if people are familiar with him, but he's a very famous uh, French writer and his book, Soumission or Submission, um, <laughs> tackled a seeming, a seeming Muslim takeover of France. Um, yeah, uh, the same thing was done by a German writer and a very famous TV news anchor, Mr. Tagesschau, he's usually called Konstantin Schreiber, who wrote a book called The Candidate, A Female Candidate. Um, and in both books, basically, these Muslims are conspiring to take over either France or Germany and, and, and turn our societies into some sort of Islamist caliphate. And um, yeah, yeah. So, so that's basically the argument, right? The undermining of society um, from above and, and Jews and Muslims uh, can only conspire against their host societies. But I think we can also find a similar trope For instance, in the accusation against uh, President Obama, when he was accused of undermining the same U.S. American politics via his apparently Muslim identity, he was called Barack, right? Or he is called Barack as well. So they basically accused him of some some similar um, uh, uh, some similar tropes, right? That he was basically trying to become the president now 
and undermine the United States of America with his uh, hidden Muslim agenda. <laughs> um, back in the days, this was kind of, in the US, it was kind of dealt with as some kind of banal anti-black US American racism, which is also true, right? And there we see again the similarities and in the interconnections between racisms, right? Um, so it's not only what I wanted to say by using um, Zia Ibrahimi's concept is that this is not only attached to Jews anymore, this kind of conspiratorial racialization. Today it can shift or shape shift again, and it moved definitely onto the Muslim figure. And to my mind, it rather depends on the geopolitics within which these kind of policies unfold and, and therefore they mark different racial groups um, and declaring them as threats of society, given the time and space we're in. So, Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. This idea that there's this uh, articulation of um, uh, existential threat to the nation that has been transferred across different generations. I mean, in the German context, I think looking at that as, you know, linked in the contemporary to the history of anti-Semitism and how that similar pattern is transposed in the contemporary to an anti-Muslim framework of racism, I think is something that really has not been explored much. Um, also, just this idea that um, German society has sort of healed itself, quote-unquote, I've seen that written in different contexts, but in fact, a lot of the power structures in German society are still built upon the same um, whether it's family dynasties or corporate dynasties that were involved in the Holocaust. Definitely, yes. Corporate dynasties, um, I think, a lot more than, than family dynasties. Um, and I think what is also, and, and, and again, I want to move away a little bit from Germany. I think this is the very, there are reasons and particularities um, about Germany because it is, I think, the only country that had ever that was ever forced to, to look at its own racial genocide in the long history of colonial genocides, right? Let's, if, if we look at it from, let's say, the 1420s onwards um, um, until today, there is no Western country that was ever not even taken to an international, uh, to international court, if we want to call the Nuremberg trials that, um, for for the atrocities that they committed, right? So I think in that vein, Germany becomes this um, interesting case example where people always wonder what's happening, what's going on. But if we zoom out and if we take this kind of out of the equation, there's really nothing special about Germany in that regard. And again, coming back to conspiratorial, race, conspiratorial, conspiratorial racialization, sorry. What I wanted to describe in particular was that what is usually um, dealt with or declared a new type of racism right, um, was or is, to my mind, articulated alongside the war on terror. And I call it the war on anti-Semitism, right, as they emerge from the 2000s onwards in Europe, as well as in the United States of America or, North, or Northern America in general, right? So, but what I also wanted to stress is that these seeming uh, or seemingly new anti-Semitisms um, or racisms are older and in many ways um, policies that we've already seen um, in colonial times. And we have seen an elaboration, a new elaboration rather, a new jargon, for instance, that started already in the 70s when the West was fighting socialism, communism, drugs, the war on drugs predominantly, right? 
as well as anti-colonial socialist movements in the global south. I didn't expand on that in this article because there's no time and space. But what I meant to say is that these seemingly new wars are today fought in an ostensibly progressive language, but they continue older colonial um, wars of submission and oppression. Um, but the progressive language kind of, you know, who would be for tarot or for drugs or for anti-Semitism, right? Kind of makes it, it's kind of the lube <laughs> that makes it go, <laughs> um, go down and sell it to society a little bit easier. I wouldn't say it, it always works, at least for the, with the war on drugs, um, uh, the war on terror. Um, we've seen the largest mass demonstrations globally and yet the majority of our um, uh, parliaments and, and, and governments eventually went to war nevertheless, right? So... Um, what we see is that this progressive language of war to the inside and outside um, is still uh, is still there to kind of align countries and people with U.S. American and European interests. I think that that was my main argument. And you need a particular type of racial racialization and and semantics that come with it because we cannot really use these old school, let's say, colonial racisms and language anymore. Right? That that's kind of outdated today. Can't do that anymore. This is an excellent point. Thank you. Um, so uh, unpacking that a little bit more, this idea of like the progressive discourse to justify militarization um, and sort of like, a, you know, a discourse around like even we're seeing adopted by military industrial complex corporations. The Israeli state uh, did that a lot through the pinkwashing process. Um, there's a lot of ways that power is trying to recuperate the articulation of social movements discourse um, with, and take away the teeth of the way that this discourse actually actually should cut into the fundamental um, power structures at play. All right, definitely. That's, I mean, I think a, a very neoliberal strategy as well, right? I mean, I think and this is why I said... We, we see this developing from the 70s onwards in, in many other ways as well and um, topics, yeah. So I guess um, last question I would ask you is um, we, we address quite a lot um, the situation of, you know, the German context and your work, but maybe we could just sort of review that to clarify things. I, I, I think that pe people might appreciate hearing just a, a, a few more reflections about this idea that um, there is um, a connection between the state um, and, and sort of the cultural uh, reality of racism in Germany today and in the past. Uh, just drawing out that, uh, I think, would be important. Thank you. Today and in the past, I mean, I think uh, my, my argument, or I'm, I'm going more and more into the argument of race being a geopolitical uh, having a geopolitical function. And I, I think that's how I also would argue your um, point. Um, in this case, the new realignment of Germany as a progressive nation post-World um, War II and Nazism um, also gave it a possibility to kind of continue in a way, especially from the mid-90s onwards, um, and the Balkan Wars, where Germany entered into a war for the first time again, based on the ticket of Never Again, which was basically a, a slogan to say Never Again the Holocaust. Um, 
uh, it, it entered into global war politics again and, and, and taking part in um, geopolitics through war making, basically, and safeguarding its own interests. Um, so I think within that, uh, speaking of business and political interests, there is a long history of political alignments through the Namibian, uh, German Namibian colonialism, um, for instance, of, you know, Adenauer, <laughs> Konrad Adenauer, the first um, chancellor of the Republic, for instance. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a continuation, coloniality and colonialism. Germany has never been an, an anti-colonial country, for instance. Um, it just kept on continuing uh, the same formations of industry and war or the weapons industry. Hegler and Koch, for instance, uh, is one of the most prominent weapons industries of Germany, very famous as well for the U.S. or important for the U.S. American uh, uh, military and one of the highest or one of the biggest, most important small arms dealers in the world. Um, those are the same people formerly called Mauser and Mauser who were delivering um, arms for the Armenian genocide, um, the genocide in Congo, through blueprints to the Belgians, um, and so on and so forth. So basically, most of the genocides in the 20th uh, and 19th century that we look at have been fought with Mauser and Mauser, or, or later on, also German weapons. Um, and this has definitely continued. So there's just one continuation um, of race and war making. Um, um, in particular, when it concerns Palestine and Israel, we see Israeli weapons industries, which is the most one of the most important, if not the most important, next to AI technology and um, agribusiness, as you've already featured in one of your episodes as well. One of the most important Israeli business um, uh, 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 pillars, right? And Germany is one of its main partners. So there's never been a break in that, I think. And, and supporting Israel is rather a colonial continuity instead of a break with it, I would argue. And we also have to say, <laughs> I think the reason why it might also be such a hot topic in Germany when it comes to Palestine is that we have um, the largest number of Palestinians in Europe, in the European diaspora, uh, between 80,000 to 100,000 in Germany, living in Germany today. So a lot of this kind of hysteria today that we've seen unfolding and what I call conspiratorial racialization with Zia Ibrahimi's or through Zia Ibrahimi's work is um, also based on on this kind of colonial reminder that Palestinians carry with them through their bodies, through their history, um, through our public opinions that we have. Right. So it's difficult. It's kind of like being Algerian in France. You know, you constantly poke at the, at the nation and remind them of a continuity that um, hasn't stopped yet. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Thank you. Thank you so much for featuring this our, this topic. That was a conversation with Anna Yunus, a Palestinian-German researcher, writer, activist. It was really great to speak with Anna today on Free City Radio. Thank you so much for being here. Find our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Please tell a friend. That's how the word spreads about this show. Thank you to Anna Yunus for being on the program today. And uh, I'll be back uh, next week and take care.